Amen. And amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Since we have arrived this morning, we have been focusing on you, gazing at your face, lifting up our praises, arresting our attention on you, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the God of gods. And now, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word, by the presence and power of your spirit. And I pray, O God, that we may continue in this holy moment together of being in your presence, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. That's what we ask for this morning, Lord, intercede for us. You've promised to. We thank you that you are. We pray, Father, now that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in, uh, in the practice of our faith, for I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have been a Christian for any number of years, you have probably celebrated the Lord's table hundreds of times. But maybe the full significance, the deep significance of the Lord's table has, has not necessarily been your experience or your understanding. Perhaps you have never uh, really spent a lot of time or been taught very much about the Lord's table and what it really is. But at the front end of our time together this morning, suffice it to say that by way of summary, the Lord's table is significant in your life of sanctification. In the absence of the Lord's table, you will not grow in the same way as you were intended to grow by the Lord. It is actually an act whereby we are intersecting with the Holy Spirit, and he is using that time to grow us. Not only that, but he's using that time to secure us in our faith, our faith in Christ, securing for us eternal life. So when you think about it, the Lord's table is an extremely important part of the worship that has been given to us by Christ for God's people to participate in. Highly, highly significant and important to us. So what does the church do? We're still answering the questions. What does the church do? It practices or celebrates the Lord's table. Our communion with Christ and one another. Our union with Christ and one another. Turn in your Bibles, if you will. There's lots to be said in the Bible. Many references to the Lord's table in the scriptures. Turn, if you will, with me. To Matthew 26, the Lord's table in every sense of reality is spiritual food. We know all about physical food, which we need in order to sustain our life. The Lord's table is spiritual food, spiritual food and spiritual drink to sustain our spiritual lives. Here's how the Lord's table came to be. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, 
Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a celebration annually to remind the people of God of their rescue from Israel, or rescue from Egypt. But in particular, was for them to consider the need to put away sin and serve the living God. That's the context, is the removal of sin, the speed of salvation out of Egypt, to be spirited out of Egypt. They didn't even have time to bake bread with leaven. You don't have any time to escape sin. You must escape it with urgency, always. The Lord's table is in that context presented. The Passover and then the, the Lord's table is instituted in this concept of the urgency of fleeing sin and salvation. So where do you want, to, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. I'll pause there for a second. That's always a good thing. Disciples, do what Jesus directs you to do. And they prepared the Passover. When evening came... Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. This intimate moment of presence and beside him and eating with him will betray. And that's why Paul said um, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. And this goes for anybody. Woe to anyone who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, I take, or take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God. So why do we celebrate important dates in our life? We have all kinds of holidays in Canada here. We've got Civic Day, we've got Victoria Day, we've got Family Day. Those are sort of general celebrations, general holidays. They're sort of parallel to the celebration of a Sunday, a general holiday, Sunday, celebration. But then there are specific celebrations that we have, like birthdays and anniversaries which become far more personal to us. 
They mark out really special occasions and really special people. The Lord's table is one of those special celebrations. It's not a general celebration, it's a special celebration. It's not like a general celebration of Sunday when we come together and celebrate the Lord. It's a special celebration. A special celebration of an event and a person and a special celebration to us, a reminder to us of our own salvation and our Savior who died for us. The whole point of celebrations is so that we don't forget, right? That's why we celebrate things, so we don't forget important people or important milestones. That's why the Lord has given to us, and, and, and the Lord himself gave this to us. So let's understand the significance of the Lord's table, just like baptism. Two things the Lord gave to us. We ought not to ignore. We ought not to think little of. We ought to think much of. Two things the Lord gave us. Two things we need to get right. Baptism and the Lord's table. Get these right. Oh, you can sing contemporary songs, you can sing hymns, you can, the Lord's like, I, just sing songs that are good theology and I'm good with it. But I want you to do these two things, and I'm not good with you messing around with them. Baptism, the Lord's table, so that you don't forget, so that you never forget this do in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. We call it an ordinance because it pictures the gospel. It's been ordained by God, ordained by Jesus. That's why we call it an ordinance. It's given as an ordinance of the church. It pictures the gospel. That's what ordinances do, the baptism and the Lord's table. Picture for us the gospel, that we might never forget the gospel. The central mission of the church, the central mission to my life. Where would you be without the gospel today? Where would you be without the good news of Jesus Christ? This is a central mission of our lives. It's commanded in order to make certain that Christ and his saving work remain central to the mission of the church. We celebrate the memory of our rescue. We celebrate our life being completely changed. We celebrate the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, I mean think, think about that. Think about the time before you were forgiven of your sins, if you can remember then. And the guilt that you bore for your sins. We celebrate the Lord's table, not only the forgiveness of our sins, but the removal of our guilt for our sins. Believe me when I say that the evil one wants to keep harping on you to be guilty about your sins. He wants you to remember your old sins. He wants you to, to continue to feel bad about your sins. The Lord's table is to tell us, don't feel bad about your old sins. Don't feel guilty about your old sins. They're gone, forgotten, forgiven. We're freed from that. We're freed from that burden we're free to live a victorious life in Christ. We're made right with God. We're made into the righteousness of Christ. 
so that when the Father views us, he sees us in the righteousness of Christ. All of these things are going on. All of these things are true of your life if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing to celebrate. That's what you celebrate at the Lord's table. All of that that's taking place. And we need to do it many times. We need to do it many times so that we won't forget. So we won't get burdened in our guilt again. So that we won't get get sidelined by all the noise and distractions around us that so weigh us down so that we will keep our eyes fixed and focused on Christ and our favored position in him as a treasured possession of Jesus kept in his treasure pouch. As David reminded us, baptism is a one-time event. A one-time event, that's what Ephesians 4, 5 says, where you have one baptism. Baptism in the Holy Spirit to bring you into the family of God, symbolized in water baptism, one baptism. One-time initiatory vow of allegiance to Christ and his church, one time. But many times, the Lord's table, it's repeated over and over again, a renewal of our allegiance to Christ and to his church. It comes on, uh, with many names. Turn in your Bibles because there's a section that gives uh, almost all of the names. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and 11. It, it, it's named in many ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Take that word in. So the word, uh, or, or if you have a King James Version, it, it will say um, the uh, um, communion. It will use the word communion. That's where we get our name communion for the Lord's table. Or it will say, or in other places it might say the sharing. Is it not the sharing in the blood of Christ? The word there, by the way, is koinonia, fellowship. It's actually fellowship. The real word is, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a fellowship in the blood of Christ, a intimate communion, an intimate sharing, an intimate participation. What's going on at the Lord's table is more than meets the eye. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21... You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So there it's called the Lord's table. So it's called the, it's called the, the sharing. It's called the Lord's table. In Acts 2.42, we'll not turn there, but it's called breaking of bread. We've looked there so many times. Surely you've memorized that verse by now. The breaking of bread. Look in 1 Corinthians 11.24. In 11.24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It, it, it's, um, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, verse 25, after supper, he took the cup, saying, it's, in this place, it's called the Lord's Supper. It's the supper of the Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians or sorry, it's a thanksgiving in 24. Sorry, I, I jumped ahead of myself. In verse 24, it's the thanksgiving. He given, gave, given thanks, or the Eucharist, which is used by a lot of... And then in verse um, 11, verse 20, 
when you come together, it is, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. He's indicting them here. It's called, there's the Lord's Supper, which Baptist, by the way, is the general chosen favorite of Baptist churches, is the Lord's Supper. I mean, we call it communion. We call it the Lord's table. We, are, we virtually never call it the Eucharist. Uh, we could. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we call it, call it, but mostly we call it the Lord's Supper, but we never call it the Mass. Never. The Mass is not a biblical term. It's not found in the Bible. It's actually a Latin term from the Latin word missa, which means the dismissal or the closing blessing. But it's the chosen favorite of the Roman Catholic Church. It's not a spiritual term. It's a, it's a term of, of, um, of church order. However, the more and more Roman Catholic churches are adopting the word uh, Eucharist when they're referring to communion. But in the Roman Catholic system, it's called a sacrament, which in the idea of conveying saving grace. It grants the forgiveness of venial sins, increases grace, it strengthens the preservation from mortal sins, it's the hope of ultimate salvation. These are not found, it's not found in the scriptural understanding, but we'll look at that as we move on. So it's many times, many, many names, and many controversies, as you can imagine. We seem to encounter this a lot, many controversies. The controversies surround the phrase, this is my body. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, and we read in Matthew 26 and in all the gospel presentations uh, that, that present the, the communion or present the Lord's Supper, Jesus talks about this is my body, which is given for you. Much controversy has occurred over the ages over that phrase, this is my body. What does it mean? One section of the greater, greater, larger family called Christianity believes in transubstantiation. You've probably heard that term before. The Roman Catholic Church holds to this whereby the elements of communion called the host, which again is a Latin term from, which comes from hostia, which, which actually literally means the sacrificial victim. So in the Catholic Church, the elements are literally the sacrificial victim. The host miraculously becomes the body and blood of Christ. Now, um, this became formalized in the Catholic Church in 1215 A.D. at the Fourth Lateran Council, whereby the priest, the ordained priest, would lift up the elements, would lift up the host, as he would call it, and say, hoc est corpus meum. That's just a Latin way to say this is my body. Where, by the way, we got the idiom in our world, hocus pocus. Hoc est corpus meum. By some magical, miracle, miraculous formula of stating that, the elements remained the same on the outside, but took on substantially inside the actual body and blood of Christ. By this host being the sacrificial victim, 
The problem with this is the Catholic tradition is re-sacrificing Christ at every single communion. And that fights against the very word of God in Hebrews chapter 10 and throughout the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 10, there's this glorious statement that's made in verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus' one sacrifice Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, and, and in other texts of the scripture in Hebrews, once for all, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. At our salvation, at your salvation, you were declared perfect. You were made perfect because you are viewed in the righteousness of Christ and Jesus is currently making you holy or currently sanctifying you. So you are positionally perfect before God in Christ, being made holy, being sanctified day by day, for which the Lord's table is part of that. That's transubstantiation. We reject that theologically. The second is consubstantiation, which Luther in the Reformation decided that, yes, it is still the actual body and blood of Christ at communion because Jesus said so, but not because a priest miraculously changed it. And uh, Lutherans still practice that idea. Some reformers, of course, objected, obviously, to the idea of the priest delivering a miracle, but, but they didn't object to the physical presence of Christ being there. But here's the deal. At the Passover, Jesus was physically present. Yes, flesh and blood. Jesus, yes. I see nods. He held up the element and said, this is my body. While his body was still there. The Passover lamb was a symbol of the sacrifice that God would require for our sins being Jesus Christ. It was a symbol that sat in over all of those years of Passover until Jesus, God's lamb, came. Now, likewise, these elements are standing in as a sign, a symbol of Jesus Christ. So the, the, the third idea is it's a memorial-only view, which is Zwingli, one of the reformers, where Christ is present spiritually and the elements are a symbol only. And then the fourth view is a memorial plus view of Kelvin, whereby he stated, Christ's flesh is not dragged down from heaven into the bread, but we are lifted to him through the secret work of the Spirit. Now, Baptists have tended to coalesce around the third view, which is the memorial only view. I'm not entirely comfortable with the memorial-only view. 
particularly because as you read in the scriptures, you understand what's going on, you realize that God's sanctifying work through Jesus Christ is very much present during the Lord's table. There is something going on, the work of God. We feed on Christ, literally feed on Christ spiritually at communion to nourish our souls, to refresh our souls, to, to gladden our souls and to strengthen them. So biblically, I think either memorial only or memorial plus view are legitimate. And then we see echoes and images. I don't want to take too much time on this, but I think it's, it's fascinating to understand some biblical theology, to understand that there are symbols and sequence in the scriptures from the Old Testament right through to the New that helps us to understand in our own lives and our own practice how baptism and the Lord's table line up in sequence. Water and food, it's always water and food, water and food. That's the sequence throughout all the Old Testament as God pictured for himself the gospel. God pictures for himself salvation. God pictures for himself in the rites of his worshiping community the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are patterns and types called echoes and images, theological pictures of God's saving work. The pattern of Noah, for instance, Reading, and Peter makes a commentary in 1 Peter 3.20. The pattern of Noah, we, we learn what the flood means, saved through water. They were saved through water. Get on the boat, in other words. Get with it. Get with Christ. Get on the boat. They, they saved through water. And others were judged by that water, and they were saved through that water because they got on the boat, trusting God, believing what God had told them to do. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Now look, it saves you only in the sense that it's a sign and a seal of the salvation of Christ's, or of salvation through Christ's resurrection. Because in the next verse, in verse 21, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It represents what Christ has achieved. And then a pledge of good conscience toward God, knowing that sins have been forgiven and guilt has been removed. And Noah's, the whole judgment on Noah pictured that whole reality of salvation. And that you get on the boat or you perish. The pattern in Exodus. First there was the, the deliverance out of Egypt, salvation, pictured. Then they passed through the water of the Red Sea. So deliverance, salvation, then water. And then they ate, at the, same, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink as Paul records in 1 Corinthians, as they wandered around in the wilderness. So you see the picture, salvation out of Egypt, then rescue through the Red Sea, and then spiritual food. See the sequence? Salvation, water, food. The pattern of Jesus. He was baptized. Matthew 3.15. He says himself, it is proper for us to do this and to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus did this because he was modeling God's will for his people and confirming that this was the right thing for disciples to do, to be baptized. And then he institutes the Lord's table at the Passover to replace Passover. So here Jesus, baptism, water, and then institutes food. 
Sequence, again. What about the primitive church? The pattern of the primitive church. Those who accepted the message and were baptized were added to the number. Then the breaking of bread. You see it? Salvation, baptism, communion. That's the sequence. That's the order. Not salvation, communion, then maybe sometime later if you get around to it, baptism. No. Never. Salvation, water, food. That's the sequence. Okay. So what are we really celebrating? I want to really spend the, the, the lion's share right here with you. There's three things we're really celebrating. And if we have time for the last little bit I've got on, then we'll, we'll do it. But if I don't, it's okay. We, we'll do it another time. But here's, here's what I really want you to, to, to focus on. This is my body. When Jesus was doing that, when Jesus said that at the Passover meal, he was bringing to fulfillment the whole meaning of the celebration of Passover. The celebration of Passover was a trusting in God by faith that if they put the blood of lambs, sacrificial blood of lambs over their doorposts, they would not be judged. God the, God, the destroyer, God's death would pass over them. The judgment would pass over them. When Jesus says, this is my body, he is now declaring himself, which John had already declared earlier, that I am God's lamb. I am God's sacrifice. And, and he, he says in the communion service itself, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body and the new covenant in my blood. The same as the Passover, when you put your faith in what God told you to do and you were rescued from judgment, now it's me. This was looking to me. The whole Passover, whole Passover event was looking to me. He's telling his disciples, he's teaching them. This was looking to me. Now he's saying, if you put your trust in me and you trust in the blood sacrifice of me, then judgment will pass over you. That's what this is all about. Passover celebrated the covenant in the Lamb's blood God made with Israel. Now the Lord's Supper celebrates the new covenant that God has made with us through the Lamb's blood, His Lamb, God's Lamb, Jesus. That's what this is. His part is to pay. Our part is to repent and believe. Just like in the Old Testament, God told them to believe in what he told them to do. And if they did, he would pass over, judgment would pass over them. If they chose not to believe, judgment would not pass over them. So the same it is with Jesus. Jesus pays, we repent and believe in the blood covenant that has been made with us by God. At communion, we are celebrating that. We are re uh, renewing our commitment to that. We are acknowledging that we're in covenant with God for one reason and one reason only, because Jesus Christ has paid it all. And we, by faith, have repented of our sins and believe in him. That's what, that's what the Lord's table is about, reminding us over and over again. Baptism 
is a symbol of our transformation. We have been changed by, by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. But the Lord's Supper is a, is a practice of our sustenance and our ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Baptism is our initiatory rite. The Lord's table is our ongoing spiritual sustenance with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The bread and the wine. Christ's death purchased an ongoing work of spiritual renewal in our lives and sustaining us. That's what, that's what this Hebrews text means, that he has made us perfect and is making us holy. And that's this ongoing work of spiritual work. So three qu- quickly, three things that, that are going on at, at what we're really celebrating uh, that you should never forget and, and brings into every Lord's table what's really happening. The first is you're looking back. The renewal of remembrance. That's what when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So the first key renewal is a renewal of remembrance. When the scriptures refer to remembrance, it's not, it isn't just some sort of fond mental picture we're to come to. Ah, yes, I remember. No, no, this is... Um, as, as uh, John Hammett writes, this, certain memories are remembrance events. You, you know this. Um, certain things have so impacted your life that when you take pictures back out of them and you look at them or whatever, or you get in a conversation with your family about them again, they become a remembrance event. Not just remembering. You know, we can remember our, our math formula tables. We can remember all kinds of things. They're not remembrance events. Remembrance event is something where you almost, you relive the sight and the smell and the sense and how you felt and what you experienced together. That's a remembrance event. The Lord's table is not just a a theological uh, uh, knowledge remembrance again. It's not a a book idea. It's it's an experience event. It's a remembrance event. Oh, yes, the the rescue of Jesus Christ for my soul, the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, the real living God, Not not a formula, not a God I've read about, but a God that I know and a God that I experience and a God that is very, very, very present at the table of the Lord, very, very present among us this morning, very, very present at the, at the table of the Lord. This is why I don't love the memorial-only view. It, you know, the memorial-only memorial view is, is kind of like, well, you know, whenever else Christ is among us, don't look for him when he's at the table because he's not going to be there. Oh, no, that's where he is. John Hammett brings that out so nicely in his book. But that's, that's where he is. He is with us. Christ's presence is with us at the Lord's table. Regularly, we're to employ, at, and think about this, at the Lord's table, all of your senses are, are brought to bear at the Lord's table. Unlike all other things, your sight, your sound, touch, taste, smell, your spiritual senses, everything, your physical senses and your spiritual senses are all operating at the Lord's table. That's an unusual, it doesn't happen any other time. Nothing else we do. We, we, uh, we don't taste songs. Okay? Now, the other things that we do in worship are all of our senses, but the Lord's table is. 
And it preserves, it, the, the Lord's table preserves our side of the union that we have in God's grace that won't let us go. The Lord's table doesn't offer to us saving grace. You have to have saving grace to be at the Lord's table. But the Lord's table offers us a constant reminder and a constant experience and re-experiencing of our union in the grace of God that won't let us go. That's why Paul writes in Philippians, um, Philippians 3, And uh, verse, verse 12, it'd help if I was in Philippians. I'm in Ephesians right now. That's why I can't see it. It's like, where did it go? Well, it's not in Ephesians. Ephesians 3 and 12. And he writes this. Not that I have already obtained all this, meaning the fullness of the resurrection life that he wishes to have manifested his life. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that. He means fully sanctified. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Do you see that? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There is a... a Experience of reunion with Christ, of Christ's grace holding me and not letting go of me as I hold on to him, as I keep hold of him. There is this dynamic relationship that we have that, and then he says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and strange toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. It preserves our side of the union at the Lord's table, the grace of God that won't let us go. I take a hold again of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He won't let go of those who by faith are holding on to him. Some people say, well, how can I know if I'm elect? You ever wonder, like, like what if I'm not elect? What, what if, I, what if it's been, I've been fooling myself all these years? What if I've been just coming to church and I'm really not part of the family of God? How, how, what, how do I know? The Lord's table tells you how you know. You, the fact that you continue to hold on to your faith, that you continue to believe what Christ has given to you, confirms your election. That's why Paul also says, or Peter says, make your election sure. How? By living by faith, by continuing to live by faith. Your continual living by faith. This is what I said at the beginning. The significance for our sanctification and the significance for our security is found in how we gather together, how we gather at the Lord's table, how we continue to gather at the Lord's table, how we continue to Believe that Christ's blood of the covenant will hold me in God and continue to have faith and trust and believe in that. That's how you know you're elect. Who was, who was God upset with in the wandering and in the wilderness in 1 Corinthians 10? It was those who stopped trusting in God. Even though they had seen his salvation. And they started to trust in other things. 
Where's our food? Where's our water? We should have gone back to Egypt. You can't look after us. What? You saw what I did. You saw how I took you out of Egypt. You saw what I did through the Red Sea. You saw the judgment all around. You've seen how I've looked after you all these years. And it says in the text there that that spiritual rock followed them. It wasn't a one-time event of getting water. They were out wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness and the desert. Did you never think about, did they get water one time from the rock and they just filled up so many flasks that it looked after them for 40 years? No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock followed them. Now, I don't even begin to know what that is. Like, did they wake up every day, get up, and, oh yeah, there's that rock. Like, <laughs> but it, and, and he didn't get that from Moses. He obviously got that from the Holy Spirit, right? So the picture there is, is the spiritual food manna from heaven given to sustain you, the spiritual drink from the rock that keeps following you. The rock is Christ who will not let you go and will not let you die. And picture that the Lord's table because Paul talks about you have been given the same spiritual food you have been given the same spiritual drink I'm taking way too long on one point looking around second looking around the renewal of commitment 1 Corinthians look there quickly 1 Corinthians 10 the, the, the people of God the church of Corinth was was two-timing Jesus. They were partying at the table of the Lord and partying with the devil's people in devilish things, idolatry and all kinds of things. And Paul writes them, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which you give thanks and participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we drink participating in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body. If we are all partake of one loaf. How, how can you, you're participating with Jesus, you're unity with Jesus. Uh, without unity, the Lord's Supper is just food. Without your allegiance and commitment and loyalty to Jesus, this meal is just a, a lunch at McDonald's. This means nothing. First, Jesus, you made your allegiance, begins with saving faith and then obedient confession and baptism and then acts of loyal love going forward. From there, respect of Jesus, loyalty towards him, honoring him, trusting in him, believing he will look after you even in the difficult time, the difficult moment, not saying, where is Jesus, but rather, I know Jesus will look after me. But not only that, of course, and and he says this two-timing Jesus, verse 20, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Do you not know that these wild parties with with pagans are, are demonic? They're not sacrifices offered to God, sacrifices of praise or righteousness. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than him? You think you can go partying Saturday night with with the demonic and then come to the, the table of the Lord on Sunday and participate at that table? Are you trying to make the Lord jealous? He won't, he won't share you with the other side. That's what communion is. You made a vow of allegiance and loyalty in the baptistry. 
And now you are reconfirming your renewal of your allegiance and loyalty at the Lord's table. If you want to grow in the Lord and you want to be secure in your faith, you better drop all the other allegiances and be loyal to Christ alone. He won't accept, share. And, and, and not only this, but, but first we're to be a... Uh, loyal to Christ, but we're to be loyal to one another. Don't you realize that this one loaf we participate in, uh, we who are many are one body, we're one people coming together at the Lord's table, renewing our unity with one another, renewing our love for one another, renewing our allegiance and loyalty to one another above all else. Just like we're loyal to Jesus, we're loyal to his body. It's driving me crazy right now hearing people trash the church because they don't like the church doing this or the church not doing that. The church hasn't stepped up enough. The church isn't political enough. The church hasn't been bold enough. The church has been too weak. The church has been too strong. Talking smack about Jesus' bride? Are you serious? That God's people would do that? Guys in here, uh, how long would you take someone talking smack about your wife? Five seconds? One second? Yet Jesus has to listen to us talking smack about his bride all the time? Don't come and sit at the Lord's table and talk smack about his church. Mm-mm. Because it's talking smack about Jesus. He identifies with his church his bride. The third is looking ahead. Quick, renewal of mission. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God is very serious about sin. God put Jesus to death because of sin, because of our sins. He died for our sins. He's very serious about sins. There's an urgency to the messaging here, not to be taken for granted. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, there's a deadline. Our mission is to get the gospel out there. And as we come to the Lord's table, we realize there's a deadline here, folks, that God is going to judge sin ultimately. Eventually, it will be done. The time will be no more. The opportunity for a mission is over. We proclaim his death until he comes. There is a timeline, and this is serious. Perishing is forever, and it's tragic. But that's what's being taught here. But for the believer, for the believer, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We see it at a totally different angle. For us, there is an end in sight to all of the trials and tribulations and struggles and sickness and grief and pain. And all of that is coming to a, a conclusion. And we, we rejoice. And Jesus is coming to get us. And, and we realize that we have a wedding invitation. Each of us who, who belong to Lord Jesus Christ, we have a wedding invitation and the wedding invitation is to our own wedding. I, I got married. I didn't get a wedding. I didn't get an invitation to my own wedding. I gave invitations. The invitation has been given by the Father to all of us to come to the wedding, those who belong to Jesus Christ. The Father gives the Son the bride. And then we get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. To be invited to the marriage supper. Look at it. A general invitation to a marriage is nothing. So what? You come and you sit in the church. The church is full you know, all kinds of seats. So, oh, come to our wedding. Sit, no, sit and watch our wedding. But if you're invited to the supper, now you're on the A-list, yeah? We're on the A-list of Jesus' wedding. 
We're on the A-list. And that's what communion does every time we host it. It reminds us who partake, you're on the A-list, waiting for the real thing. Yet to come, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the consummation of all things. I got to close. Who's invited to the Lord's Supper? Participation at the Lord's Supper, our Lord's table, is open to all who have been invited into the family of God through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and are living a life of obedience to the commands of Christ, loyal to Jesus and to his bride, loyal to the command to be baptized and loyal to the command to love the brothers and sisters. That's who's invited. If a church will not permit unbaptized people to become members of the church, it's illogical for a church to invite unbaptized people to be part of the Lord's table. How do you prepare quickly? Atmosphere, it's celebrative, celebrative. It's a belonging banquet. Attend regularly. Every time there's communion should be a priority. Every time church should be a priority anyway, but communion should be a priority. And then there's the examination. Make sure that you come ready to examine yourself. This is how sanctification works. This is how short accounts with Jesus works. Repent of your sins. Re-examine your trust in Christ and be at peace with the brethren. That's what is necessary to, for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, of work of sanctification at the Lord's table. Every time you come to the Lord's table, it reminds you, am I right with God? Am I keeping right with God? Are there sins in my life that need to go? Have I been allowing things in my life that are wrong? Am I mistreating people who belong to the Lord? Do I need to get some things right with some people? That's what communion does. It forces us to clean things up and get right with God again because he's enabled us to do this. So it's a sanctifying, growing experience, it's a experience of security, the sweet communion of Jesus and the sweet communion of the brothers and sisters in Christ because of Christ's death for us. Father, thank you for your amazing truth. Uh, there just wasn't enough time, Lord, today to even begin to scratch the surface, but Lord, I pray that you will take what we've done and uh, you will uh, uh, multiply its effects spiritually in our lives as you are so able to do. Lord, take the little bit that was given and I pray that you would bless it and multiply it in our lives in terms of its influence and impact, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.